Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. We hope this episode finds you healthy and happy and maybe a mid-grand adventure, perhaps even out on the ocean now that so many countries are uh, relaxing a lot of their their formerly draconian lockdown policies. Today, we'd like to explore the ocean along with you, in a way. Uh, the ocean is fascinating. We know less about what goes in the, on in the ocean now than we do about what goes on on the surface of the moon. And, you know, people have, very few people have been to the moon a lot of people have been uh, on the surface of the ocean, uh, and a lot of people have gone to the bottom, but far fewer people have returned to the top. And one quick thing about that, uh, as we've just been learning and as was announced by NASA today, I believe, we are sending a, a new little rover up to the moon called the Viper that's supposed to be uh, landing on the moon and going around and looking for water. 
in 2023, which is pretty interesting. I believe that's all. That kind of mission is also um, at least partially intended to be a proving ground for later searches on Mars. Is that correct? Absolutely. Does it come equipped with a little divining rod that just like kind of vibrates when it hits water? Just kind of like sniffs around for it. Yeah, it more I think four wheels and then uh-huh. a small protruding divining, divining rod, rod. Just like spring loaded. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an interesting question because uh, it goes into the concept of vibration and sound, which is what, uh, you know, all sound is, is vibration. And going back to the ocean, the biggest source of water that we are uh, experientially familiar with as a species, uh, we know that it is just like the surface of the planet. It's riotous with life. The thing is that the creatures in the ocean wherever they are in the ocean or these seas of ours, they live a vastly different existence. In some cases, it's almost alien. Like we've often heard it said that cephalopods, uh, especially the super intelligent ones like uh, octopuses, are the closest our species has to, you know, an example of what alien life would look like. And, And it's fascinating stuff, but it's also so obscured to us it's it's uh, occulted the we we don't know what is happening in the ocean oh i know and if you want to get a look at that uh, i really recommend the uh i think it's called blue planet or you know planet earth maybe there's an episode about the deep 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 like marianas trench deep uh ocean uh, creatures and they look like aliens like the angler fish with the little light bulb thing on their heads and then this one called the vampire squid that looks literally like something straight out of the gates of hell um but the adaptations that happen at those depths with such little light are absolutely fascinating and like you say ben the closest thing to alien life that i think we were gonna be able to ever set our eyes on in our lifetime at least officially right and right and, right. and the thing is that because um Unfortunately, because the vast majority of human exploration, invention, and ingenuity depends on, you know, the concept of a monetary economy, by far the most popular religious belief of our age, uh, we find ourselves in a position where, as a species, we can get down to incredible depths in the ocean, but we have to propitiate to the economic gods first. It's That means it's Look, pretentiousness aside, it's very, very expensive to explore the ocean. That's what we're saying. And uh, people have always been in this push-pull over whether or not it's a good investment uh, to explore the ocean. Militaries are one of the most powerful – well, forget one of. Militaries are the most powerful human force on or below the surface of the ocean. And because it is so difficult – and so expensive to get actual people down past a certain depth for any substantial length of time, we have built tools to tell us what's going on. We've built, we've built this kind of um, synthetic mimicry of a natural thing that existed uh, way before humans actually existed. Uh, we invented something called Sonar. It's turned every ship into the Marvel comic book hero Daredevil. Here are the facts. That's a really good way to put it. 
that's exactly what sonar does. It's also called, or is called, it stands for sound navigation and ranging. And it's extremely common. It's used in almost every vessel that is large enough to travel around for any reason on, on the ocean. And just like you said, like Daredevil, it allows us to see without visualizing. It's using sound to essentially visualize what exists both in the depths and out in front of you and basically in 360 degrees around you within the water. And it really is fascinating that we were able to figure out how this works, just humanity in general. Um, and it, it is really, it's cool how it, how it mimics natural processes that a lot of other animals do. Yeah. And, and it's an old, old technology. It's much older than you might think. Uh, a lot of people who are perhaps in the younger demographic of our fellow listeners may understandably think sonar is something that came about after, what would you say, guys, World War II, maybe? Yeah, it seems kind of techy. I mean, it almost has like a futuristic vibe when you think about, you know, the readouts and the way it looks like on a submarine or a naval vessel with like the grid and like, you know, sending out the pings and being able to recreate, you know, um, you know, map topography underwater using sound. That sounds pretty kind of brave new worldy and futuristic. But we also have to remember that this is a quote unquote technology that exists in the natural world and that we're kind of just mimicking that we've sort of hijacked from, you know, organic beings like like whales and, uh, and and dolphins. No, you're absolutely right. So you can imagine how, let's say, someone studying animals, bats even, or anyone else that's any other animal that's using echolocation, but perhaps specifically an animal that's using sound within the water, within the ocean, to either communicate or to figure out where it is and what's, you know, what dangers lurk ahead. So you imagine that studying animals, someone in 1822 created sonar. Like, imagine that. There's at least the precedent, the thing that existed that became sonar. There was a gentleman named Daniel Culloden. He stuck a bell underwater, and he was using this to calculate the speed of sound as it's traveling through water rather than air. Like, if you, it's very, very different, and it, and it does travel very differently. So that, that occurred way back in 1822. Then you do have to fast forward a little bit further to 1906 when modern sonar, as we generally understand it, exists today. There's a guy named Lewis Nixon who built a what we would consider to be a sonar-like device, and it was specifically made to detect icebergs. Yeah, and so was that, this is a silly question, I'm not meaning to sound flippant, but was that technology around when the Titanic got iceberg headed? you know, uh, was the, like, would they have just had visual on that, or, or the, like, that would have been in, in the late 1800s, no, no, that's not true. No, it was after, it was after 1906, it was after yeah. the, um, the so Lewis-Nixon invention, but, it's a shame. you know, this is, this is widespread, and that's a, um, we could call it modern sonar, but Modern sonar is really galvanized by war, like so many other so many other great technological breakthroughs. It happens as a way for people to figure out how to kill more people or to figure out how to keep more people from killing them. You could kind of imagine it, Ben. Like, oh, all right, Nixon, uh, so this thing can detect icebergs, right? Well, can it detect, you know, name the mm. adversary? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Can it, can it detect Germans? And, and you know, submarines, of course, are an episode all their own in the modern day. Uh, they're fascinating things. Uh, in World War II, they were horrible places to be. Uh, and in World War One, that was even more true. But these things could be... Um, you know, the concern about what submarines would become in World War II really triggered this research in sonar. And sonar, um, you know, not to belabor the point, um, sonar works in a, in a pretty straightforward way. The way we can understand it at a high level without getting into too much of the, the physics here is that it emits sound waves. Bing, bing, bing. And it measures how long the echo of those sound waves takes to return after it hits something. That means, for example, if we're all on uh, on the conspiracy cruise, that's spelled S-E-A, and we are using sonar in shallow water, then our pings are going to return to us more quickly because they are traveling a shorter distance. But if we're over a very deep part of the water, then it's going to take longer for those sound waves to return. And this is this is common knowledge. It's how bats work. It's how daredevil works. There's nothing particularly scary about it yet. There are two types of sonar, though. Uh, the first one is kind of what we described, active sonar. Makes the sound, makes the ping, waits for the ping, and then you're like, oh, okay, there we are. Um, in general, the, the longer distance stuff is going to use much lower frequencies, and we'll probably have some onomatopoeia here in today's episode, but the lowest long-distance active sonar kind of makes this like uh, this sound, uh, and it's valuable. Boats, ships need this. We use sonar for a lot of stuff, but there's another one you need to know about, and that is passive sonar. Yeah, passive sonar listens, uh, but doesn't transmit. Um, and these are often used by militaries, but uh, scientific research uses these systems um, as well uh, for, for entirely different applications. Passive sonar systems usually have uh, large databases of sonic information that they collect. A computer system can use these databases to identify different classes of ships or um, types of actions they might be taking, like speed or a particular type of weapon that they're releasing. Uh, and even, you know, the make and model of, of the ship. Uh, sonar is also a super valuable tool for, like we said earlier, creating kind of um, recreating topography uh, of underwater um, landscapes, uh, nautical charts and maps, um, locating various underwater hazards, mapping of the seafloor, uh, looking for shipwrecks or, uh, you know, let's just take it a step further just because we're all dreamers here. Let's call it buried treasure. Uh, and today it's used over more than 70% of the world's oceans. So, um, like we sort of teased earlier, this is not something that man just invented out of whole cloth. This is something that uh, whales use as well and other underwater creatures. Whales in particular use it to know how to move around, to how to make sure they're not running into any icebergs or battleships or what have you, or just any kind of obstacles. Now, they're large uh, creatures uh, and fascinating ones to boot. Um, even more 
more fascinating than the whole concept we're talking about here, which is sonar. Uh, a lot of folks out there uh, in podcast land are probably going to be surprised to learn just how much we do not understand about whales in this, the year 2020. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we are embarrassingly, cartoonishly clueless about a lot of aspects of whales in general. I want to separate a couple things. When we talk about whales and sonar, we have to remember, first off, that there are quite a few different types of whales. Often, I think, uh, when we hear whales, just the term, we think of the largest whale, right? The the blue whale. That is That is what's called a baleen whale. They've got those weird plates. They swim through the ocean. They just digest a bunch of very small things. That's stuff just funnels in. Yeah. That's just, that's just their bag. They stuck with it. They're very good at it and they're huge. And then there are toothed whales. Uh, a dolphin is like an example of a toothed whale. Uh, these are the ones that use echolocation to move around the ocean and echolocation. Uh, like we, like we said earlier, it's the, natural world's predecessor to sonar. Whales have what you could call a language. There's a lot of research that's gone into the language of different whales, uh, the ideas of the, the songs and so on. So for whales that are using echolocation, they're communicating in high whistles, impulse bursts of sounds, and then clicks. And this is interesting. This is something I did not know. Uh, the clicks made by toothed whales are the loudest sounds made by any marine mammal, which means that once upon a time, uh, before the age of the Anthropocene, they were the loudest regular sounds in the ocean. And and it sounds hyperbolic, but it is it it is insane. Like they can use this. Uh, they they can use these things uh, in a in a weaponized way too. They're mapping the seafloor as they swim. They they're mapping underwater obstacles, like you said, Matt. Depth of water, shorelines, figuring out where other animals are. And then there's this theory that's pretty new that says maybe some of their high intensity focused sounds are almost like um, almost like the weapons in Dune. Maybe they're stunning or disorienting prey. Maybe they're attacking with sound. I, I, I mean, that's pretty crazy, and the science is pretty compelling. It's also a very it's a very sensitive trait. That's why you know, like like at, we see that animals tend to have a primary sense, sort of a, um, a lead singer in the band of their senses. For humans, we're a visual creature, right? We, we have taste and smell and sound and stuff, and they're all very important, but we like to see stuff. And for many of these animals, their, their protagonist in their, their gang of senses, the leader of their sensory heist crew, is sound, is this echolocation, which makes sense because you can't, you can't see very well at certain depths of the ocean, right? It, it's more difficult. Um, and so, of course, it's going to be those instruments on their bodies are going to be more sensitive the same way that dogs are primarily um, – olfactory creatures. They live by their sense of smell. That's why you don't, if you don't want to be a jerk, don't bop a dog or, or a cat on the nose. They will be infuriated with you. That's a really interesting thing to to talk about there, Ben. 
just about how sensitive the sensors are on them, on uh, toothed whales, but also just the different uses of sounds that they emanate. And, you know, we're talking about those clicks and being able to almost weaponize them as like a an audio flashbang or something to, to be able to use like that. They've also got sounds um, and not just toothed whales. You, you can also think about a couple other different kinds, um, gray whales, bowhead whales. They have They have behaviors that are considered to be avoidance behaviors or like escape behaviors. And the sounds that they can emanate when essentially distressed um, are extremely loud. And some of the, some of the louder, the other louder things that would have existed in the ocean. Um, Just again, fascinating creatures. We have a ton to learn, but, and you know, we're talking mostly about tooth whales here, but if you go back to the, the, the baleen whales, it's not as though they're just silently trawling the waters and going around. The, these are the animals that you would hear uh, if you've ever heard anyone talk about a whale song or if you've heard any uh, recordings, perhaps, of something that would be called a whale song. Uh, these whales do make a lot of sounds and they communicate uh, through, through these sounds with each other. Um, and again, it's the same kind of thing we would talk about. Um where is the food? Where are we going? Where uh, where are you? Here I am. Uh, at least that's our current understanding. And we can only assume that it gets much, much more complicated than that. We just don't have a way to translate yet. We do know that there are dialogue or accent differences in, in different groups of, of certain whales. We know that some of these communications seem intergenerational right? That they are taught to their young. There's also a heartbreaking story of a one tone deaf whale that was excluded uh, from from its community. But we'll leave that heartbreak uh, to you to find, dear listener, fellow conspiracy realist. Uh, Noel, I think you said you found uh, a pretty good onomatopoeic description of uh, what a whale song was is like written out. Is that correct? Yeah, it was it was pretty remarkable to see it on paper, and I tried to uh, pronounce it out for you guys uh, off mic. I'm going to give it another shot here. I'm not going to do an impression of a whale. I'm just going to kind of do it like a human reading on a monopoeia. Uh, it's something along the lines of blurgarooawawa. That was beautiful. You can also find uh, recordings, of course, of of whale songs. I believe from different, di- uh, like different years, different parts of the ocean. Very well aware of this. There is not at this point is one of the questions I would ask if I were hearing this for the first time. There's not at this point uh, what we would understand as a good translation, right? There's not. Um, there have been attempts to communicate with whales. Uh, through through technological means. Um, but right now, sadly enough, one of the most effective ways that humans have communicated with whales is through sonar. We have to talk about how these processes interact. Okay, so we understand echolocation. We understand sonar, right? Uh, we've got the... the, the We've got the basics. So um, two thought experiments. Imagine you're walking in a dim, gigantic room. You're trying to find your way to the door, to an egress. All of a sudden, thousands of laser lights are shining into your eyes, or thousands of flashlights. 
what they're doing is whomever is using those lights is illuminating the room for themselves, but they are blinding you in the process. That's part of the reason that um, police in intimidation tactics will make sure to keep a light on your eyes. It puts the person getting the light shown on them uh, at a tremendous disadvantage. It's, the, it's a very similar thing with whales. Or since we're talking about sound, right, rather than talking about um, sight, imagine that you're hanging out with, with the four of us at an Applebee's. I say the four of us because Paul is, of course, there too. Oh, to be in an Applebee's right now. <laughs> the apps, right? And, and, and we're having a chat, you know, maybe um, maybe Matt is, is going up to, uh, I, I don't know, do something important. We'll write the script later. Uh, and then, Noel, you're, you're going to say something to him like, hey, don't forget the... Uh, you know, make it make that two margarita margaritas or something. Uh, but right as Noel's gonna say that, somebody we don't know, maybe never will meet again, burst into the lobby and they blast sound so much sound that it's like when you can feel the bass in your vo- bones times 20. Forget trying to tell Matt about that margarita, our eardrums are bleeding. We're like, we're starting to lose consciousness. And then when the sound passes, we we are damaged. Yeah, I mean, any any uh, crossover listeners to Ridiculous History will remember an episode we did um, with a preeminent expert on underwater explosions named Dr. Rachel Lance, and we talk about the sinking of the Hunley, which is a super rudimentary, uh, er, like Civil War submarine, which I didn't even know was a thing, but it's like basically like a Flintstones car submarine that you crank with your feet. Really, really dangerous. Every time they did a test run of it, people died, uh, and then it actually did sink a warship, but. Dr. Lance, um, her area of expertise was talking about the way these underwater shockwaves affect our bodies and our internal organs, and they can cause serious internal damage to our viscera. And that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. And with those two ideas, this at the very least complicates things. So that's our question today. What is happening here? What's happening under the surface of the ocean? And how are you complicit? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. 
Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Here's where it gets crazy. Sonar is massively... Paul, please edit me here. We have to say it. Sonar is massively f***ing up whales. People knew about it before the public did, and even when it was open secret, uh, the militaries of the world, which were, and, and you know, shipping interests, uh, did some stuff that was similar to the actions of oil companies when they knew about climate change. It kind of fought against this, right? And they did it for, um, they did it, pretty successfully, and they, they did it for what they would see as compelling reasons, what they would see as, once again, one of the great boogeymen of history, the greater good. So what happened? So if we go back to the early 1900s, when we would consider that era to be the beginning of sonar, let's say, you know, around World War I, really, then we would have to go much further we're talking 60-something years to get to around 1971, which is what we would say is the beginning of academic concerns about what sonar is doing to wildlife, the effects that it's having on whales and other creatures and animals in the ocean. And there were there were two men that were looking into this, uh, Roger Payne and Douglas Webb. They went on to prove that 
before humans had ships, small ships, large ships, massive ships, just go traveling across the ocean and within the ocean, before we were doing that, the tones from creatures called fin whales, so it's a specific type of whale, the tones that they were generating and the processes we've talked about prior to this, they could travel as far as 4,000 miles within the ocean and still be discernible against just the ambient general background noise that exists when you're in the ocean. 4,000 miles. The, the approximate distance of the Amazon River from the beginning, from the mouth to the end. So they could say, uh, what up? I'm, I'm a cool, cool whale from the mouth of the Amazon River looking for a cool wellette to hang out with. And then even if they were on the, the very far end of the Amazon River, 4,000 miles away, uh, these other whales could hear them. Yeah, it's pretty Ter- good. Terrible example. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's pretty close to the internet when you think about just how large the ocean is and how far <laughs> away that is if you're talking about 4,000 miles in every direction. Yeah, that's a good point, Matt. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, the internet is 4,000 miles long. That is, a hard, that is a hard limit uh, that has been put into place. We did not make the rules. We just want to arm you with the information. But there's, a, there's another stat there that is, um, I think, even, even more amazing. I mean, you mentioned background noise, right? The ocean is like if you've, if you've ever been in a forest when nothing bad is happening, then you realize that it is a it is cacophonous. You know, there there's so much noise going on. And if you don't hear a lot of noise, it's either because you're there or because something worse than you is there. So be careful. And it's amazing when you think about it. If you look at what the Animal Welfare Institute as well as the NOAA and a couple other organizations um, – at least what they have on their websites, what they say, the research is, uh, and this isn't completely accurate, but you can, you can look a little further into this if you wish, but the relative sound level and intensity per decibels of ambient ocean noise levels are, it's a range from around 55 to 85 decibels just as a standing. And if you compare that to uh, what the effective levels of LFA sonar are, that's, that's around 230 and higher decibels. So just if you, if you can go ahead and imagine that that's what we're talking about here. I mean, that's, that, that I think is, is a stunning difference there. It, it also, it also reminds me that we know that in the days before propeller-driven watercraft, which obviously predates sonar, these uh, these whale noises and sounds could travel even further. They were even louder um, because, you know, of course, these propellers make noise pollution as well. The whales in the era, the halcyon days of uh, pre-propeller ocean, uh, they could make sounds that would travel 13,000 miles. That's an estimate. Uh, and the reason it's an estimate is because that's more than the diameter of Earth. So imagine being able to communicate so well if you're, you know, we're, we're whales, we're swimming around, and we yell, hey, then later, behind us, we hear ourselves saying, hey. 
I mean, that's not going to happen because there are a lot of obstacles and land and stuff. But if there were an uninterrupted sphere, that would be possible. It's crazy. It's the, the, uh, the shot heard around the world probably came from a whale instead of a person. It does make you think that maybe, maybe creatures that exist in the water, just, you know, as it is a water planet, were the ones that were meant to be uh, the, the intelligent species that evolved. Uh, huh. That's that's going to take me down a rabbit hole for another uh, another time. It's like the yeah, it's like the old uh, Mitchell and Webb sketch, you know, where these two Nazis are looking at each other, and one of them goes, "Are we the baddies? Like, are are, are we the bad guys?" <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so we know that they're just like there are different types of whales, just like there are different types of ships. There are different types of sonar. So maybe let's talk a little bit about something called mid-frequency sonar. There's been research on this. You know, think of low-frequency, high-frequency, mid-frequency. It's the Goldilocks of sonar. It's not to be confused with, like, mid-century sonar, which is very clean lines and, you know, really aesthetically pleasing, um, but not particularly comfortable. Um, Okay, that was a bad dad joke, but I'm furnishing my new house, so that's where my mind is at right now. Uh, So, yeah, but there was evidence of something called mid-frequency sonar uh, and how it affects whales back as far as the 90s, uh, which compared to the invention of sonar itself is pretty recent. In fact, uh, whalers are the ones who actually figured it out and used it to the detriment of these giant uh, and and majestic creatures. in Among Whales by Roger Payne, who we mentioned earlier, he notes that whalers figured out that uh, a frequency of 3,000 hertz sent whales into like panic mode. It caused them just to freak out and to surface for air, maybe when they didn't even need it because the stress probably robbed them of oxygen. They were breathing more rapidly, and so they would come up to the surface more often, and this allowed them more opportunities to shoot them. So they had these essential, essentially sonar weapons on their boats that they would use to, to, you know, deploy that frequency into the water and reap the rewards. Yeah, it was less useful. It was designed to help them track whales. But as soon as they found that sweet spot frequency, uh, the, the real reason they would use it, their primary reason became just what you're saying, Noel, uh, make the whales do something called panting. So when they panic, they release air. And, and, you know, like you said, they can stay underwater a long time as long as they have the air stored up and they had to, they had to surface and then the whalers would get them. So, so at least some members of humanity figured out there were ways that sonar clearly affected whales, uh, but, it, but it goes beyond that. Aside from sonar being used by whalers, which is an example I wish more people knew, and aside from it obviously hampering communication in the in the gigantic applebees of the ocean how else does it affect these creatures the answer is something we've all heard of we've all seen pictures of it it's called beaching yes in 1996 a man named alexandros francis proved that 12 cuvier's beaked whales uh, beached themselves uh, they beached themselves alive it wasn't as though they were deceased and then washed up they swam ashore uh, they did that along the coast of Greece. Uh, according to Alexandros, these whales did that uh, while NATO was testing an active sonar system, and they were using two different kinds that we've already talked about, both mid-range 
and uh, low frequency transducers. Uh, so it, he essentially just kind of was able to, in 1996, Alexandros Francis, to point to it and say, hey, look, look at these beached whales. Look at, there's, tw- there's 12 of them. They're, they were beached when this sonar system was being tested to actually point to it, not, not maybe for the first time, but to really show it. And the article was published, get this, two years after this occurred in Nature, Nature Magazine in 1998. I like that you differentiated in Nature, Nature Magazine. Yes, <laughs> so, yes. Well, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and it did a, a fine job of, of, of proving a link, establishing a link between these mass beachings of whales and the use of military-grade sonar. Uh, and in order to do that, they concluded that although you know you can't completely rule out pure coincidence um there was uh greater than a 99.3% chance that sonar testing caused that um that situation uh and the idea that a low power sonar could keep in mind this was not operating at full capacity a low power sonar could cause this level of of chaos uh was really disturbing um, and and pointed to how dangerous this technology could actually be within these populations uh, of whales. And at, by that point, most of the research has been focused on the possibility of figuring out a way to maybe soften these signals or mask them in some way. Cause it's, you know, it's obviously like, it's not like they're in, you know, the whalers were using the sonar to actually mess with the whales, but the military grade sonar isn't intended to hurt whales. It's just sort of an unfortunate byproduct, like birds getting caught in wind turbines and the like. Um, so they, they were looking into some possibilities of masking them to prevent situations like this also to prevent interference with things like mating calls and other you know functional uses of sonar by whales like avoiding giant obstructions not crashing into seawalls or whatever you want to call that i just want to reiterate here before we continue forward that we you said it there Noel, but we've known about what is called here or what we're calling here atypical you know, uh, landings or beaching of whales, at least large numbers of them. We've known about that for a long time. We've been observing that. You probably remember as a kid seeing stories about that or maybe pictures in newspapers or something. I certainly do. Um, just want to just, just point out there that it wasn't until 1998 uh, and 96 that it was really known that this stuff was causing these pretty terrible occurrences shocked pokemon face dot gif honestly i mean that, that sounds cynical but look at the timeline people people knew the the tough thing about being you know um on the side of science is that you have to have the facts on your side as well so you have to conduct this research but it, to me it's weird that the scientific community it was being surprised by that, even though we already knew that sonar in general could cause this stuff. As a matter of fact, honestly, I understand why atypical mass stranding or beaching is a technically correct term, but it is pretty misleading 
because mass beaching in general should be pretty atypical. I get like English is such a tricky language and, and we put so many unnecessary things on there like drug free school zone. Really? I don't know. That's a different problem for another day. But shouldn't all these all be atypical? I completely agree. And imagine what's happening to that creature. Really, we we talked about it earlier on about being, you know, in an environment where something comes along with just the most massive sound that it just, there's no way for you to get out and away from this sound because that sound is just traveling wherever you go. And it's permeating the air. No matter, you know, we're, we're thinking about going inside of a house or something or in a structure, but imagine if that sound, if you're on the desert or something, and it's a sound that you can only continue to run in that desert, but it's, the sound isn't leaving. It's just as loud as it was as you're trying to escape it. That's what these creatures are going through in the water, and that's why the beaching occurs, because there's just, they're going until they can't go. Uh, it's just a tough thing to, tough thing to think about. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a powerful way to put it. The ocean is one big room without a door to close. Uh, and that is, that is terrifying. So here, here's where we're at kind of a, um, a watershed moment. The lid of Pandora's maritime jar is unscrewed. People know what's happening. Maybe not everybody, but uh, academics know what's happening Scientists know what's happening. The military certainly is. I strongly suspect the military was much more aware of this much earlier. But it gets fast forward to year 2000. This issue receives more widespread attention outside of the scientific and environmentalist community when a mass stranding occurs in the Bahamas. Three different types of whales wash up on the beach. It's crazy. The public backlash is huge. Eventually, Uncle Sam says, okay, this might have maybe, just maybe have something to do with a, a little bit, one aspect of the sonar uh, stuff that we're doing, which is super necessary. And then later they came back and they were like, okay, it was us. Still, this is super necessary stuff to do. It's for the greater good. Um and now, as we move forward past 2000 and more research is conducted, both on events from 2000 to 2020 and retroactively on previously unexplained events from before then, we see that the list of species uh, whose mass strandings are linked to naval exercises just keeps growing. It's more and more. Yes, uh, and that includes beaked whales, Dwarf whales, pygmy whales, sperm whales, pilot whales, uh, several species of dolphin, uh, and also harbor porpoises. We've seen several mass strandings in the northern Indian Ocean that also coincide with naval uh, tests and exercises involving sonar. Uh, and that includes one of the largest uh, ever recorded, 200 to 250 dolphins. Uh, stranded, beached, uh, that still hasn't really gotten a whole lot of press or attention in the media. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the whales uh, are going to court. Court is a human invention. A legal system is a human invention. And so humans would have to participate if they wanted to help the whales in uh, a legal sense. 
We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor and then come back with hopefully some good news on that front. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We're back. Dum, 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 dum. Law and Order Maritime. In response to lawsuits bought by multiple environmental groups, the U.S. Navy created a protocol regarding the use of sonar and whales. The, the basic idea is that before using certain sonar tools or devices, 
You check to see whether there are animals around that would be affected. And if there are, you can only turn your sonar setting up to X degree, like X level of power, etc. cetera. Um, this is not a perfect system because it's, it's pretty much defined as, uh, we'll get to it, but it's pretty much defined as what will not permanently damage these creatures. One of the biggest problems that exists within the technology that the Navy has is their long-range sonar. Um, and it's a thing, it's, it's a tool called Surveillance Toad Array Sensor System Low Frequency Active. Woo! Uh, that, the woo's not at the end. Uh, it's, also <laughs> known, <laughs> it's also known as Sirtas LFA, or Sirtas LFA. And um, once, once lowered from the massive reel, which is, okay, you have to imagine this thing being lowered down into the water a bit. Um, yeah, one of those lower- massive spools of like heavy wire. Mm-hmm. So it's this thing that you lower down into the water, and this system has what what they're, what are what are called or what they are calling source projectors. Uh, there are eighteen of them. There are these huge. Uh, you can think of them like if you're. I don't know. Let's imagine. I'm just thinking about a car maybe with subwoofers in it or something, or if you're at a concert and you see the big speakers that are designed specifically to send out the low frequency stuff. Imagine that there are 18 of those uh, attached to this thing and they just begin emitting the loudest low frequency tones that you can imagine. And the big problem with all of that is that the frequencies, those the low ones that they're emanating there, um, around 100 to 500 hertz, also happen to be the sweet spot, uh, what, what you'd call the Goldilocks zone, for a lot of marine life. It's not too high, it's not too low, it's right where they want it, and we're just bombarding that frequency level with our stuff. It's where they communicate, right? Yes. It's, it's like, um, if you think of it humans, Noel, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the audible human vocal range has a pretty sweet, you know, it, it's, it goes from pretty low to pretty high when you're yeah, listening it's, to it's, it. Like, it's 100 to 120 hertz specifically is where that uh, part of our, that, that's the frequency range that our voices fill up and that we are able to hear. And, and that's something we think about when we're producing podcasts um, is we EQ things, you know, AKA filter out and boost certain frequencies to make things as intelligible as possible on various systems and from far away. So we tend to scoop out a lot of those low frequencies frequencies which can create kind of mud and make it a little harder to understand but it would be the equivalent of if that sweet spot of 100 to 120 hertz that we need to be able to hear for the human voice to have conversations something was just generating uh, that frequency uh, at a loud volume to the point where we couldn't hear over it and it was just clogging up our communications ability and it was happening constantly like some form of tinnitus that we all had in our ears at the same time it would make you go insane you would become an insane person. It would be chaos, absolute misery. I would also put it this way. Imagine you don't know where these things are coming from. Mm. You have no idea. You, you know that there are odd things that look like creatures on the surface of the water or under the surface, and you know that they're very loud and they're admitting these things, right? Um, but yeah, to the insanity, if you don't see that stuff or if you don't have another sensory input confirming that, it's almost like you're hearing voices. Oh, wow. Yeah, or an understanding of 
like what that is, right? I mean, um, that's wow. That's a really rough way to look at it, Ben. Well, that's why that's why some experts have said, you know, marine mammals perceive the noises from this certes LFA thing as a threat, and they react as if it's a threat. Understandably. Right now, uh, environmentalists want the Navy to limit what they call explosions in sonar in areas where it's known that marine animals will gather annually in certain parts of the year. Uh, we have to point out that these are, these are not sonar uh, activities that are used in acts of war or hot conflicts. The vast majority of these things come about from testing or, or scenario gaming. Well, that makes sense. You got to try it out on, you know, a sustained basis or trying different, uh, like you said, like different scenarios. Um, it's interesting too, Ben, because the idea of limiting this and regulating this, it's sort of a philosophical one where you have to like weigh, is it worth killing some whales for the progress of military supremacy? You know, is it worth killing some birds to have uh, cleaner energy? You know, I mean, it's always, uh, you know, weighing these things, but it does feel like with the current administration that we're in, philosophically, protecting wildlife is going to, uh, you know, pale in comparison to, you know, having the, the best military and the most powerful military on the planet. So, you know, stuff like that, I could see going by the wayside. And, and to your point, Ben, it already seems to be going by the wayside, right? I mean, I think that's a very good point, Noel. I would also say that we have to be, we have to be careful and realize that the, U.S. military uh, tends to go about business as usual pretty often, regardless of who is, uh, regardless of which political party is in power. In a lot of ways, that that machine continues to run, and it is a philosophical thing. Just to throw in some specifics, in 2007. The U.S. government did publish guidelines for the level of noise for injury uh, to be on the record. They considered impulsive sounds at the level of 230 decibels as the uppermost safe exposure limit for uh, all marine mammals, including beaked whales. I was just going to jump in here and say, um, you know, you, Noel, you were con commenting on the current administration when thinking about this, but I would just say these concerns go way beyond any administration when you're thinking about uh, the national security of a country, any country, but specifically the United States, um, can, when considering military might versus wildlife conservation, I think we all know where, you know, the status quo that exists within any administration, where, where the priorities would lie. Uh, you mean getting reelected? Yeah, well, and Matt, I completely agree with you about, you know, the military being always kind of the the um, priority. And I think when I was referring to the current administration, I was maybe thinking more along the lines of rolling back some environmental controls and uh, care for wildlife that I feel like that philosophy can bleed even into the military stuff and potentially make it even more of a double downing on stuff like this, just with that attitude in mind. That's, I think, what, what I was, uh, was I was trying to say. But completely agree with you that, you know, this stuff is never going to be as much of a primary concern or even enough in the public eye as we'll see with some court stuff that we're going to discuss in just a minute. 
Right. To quote, uh, to quote H.G. Wells from one of his non-plagiarized works. Uh, yes, <laughs> I'm throwing some shade there, Adam. Uh, uh, like they say in the island of Dr. Moreau, are we not men? Meaning, does the species not live within a framework of law meant to make, in theory, everything good for the most amount of living things possible? Well, that came to a head. On July 15th in 2016, a little bit of victory for the maritime members of the of spaceship Earth when the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco uh, finally shot down the Navy's pretty self-serving interpretation of something called the National Marine Protections Act. That, that act is supposed to prohibit any U.S. citizen, agency, or organization from harming, knowingly harming, or through negligence harming uh, the creatures we've been talking about, whales, dolphins. It's basically saying, don't club seals, that that kind of stuff, stuff that I think most people can get on board with. But they had to go to court for it. Yes, uh, there is a, a wonderful article about the subject by Alessandra Potenza from The Verge um, talking about this very court case, and they found that the sonar used across more than 70% of the oceans in the entire world that we discussed, this low-frequency sonar was operating under a, essentially an improper let's license permit, whatever. I mean, you know, it sort of seems to me like almost a formality that the, the, the military even needs a permit, you know, to contend with these pesky wildlife you know, organizations that are just trying to, you know, save the whales and all that. Bunch of hippies as far as the generals are concerned. And I am, uh, of course, editorializing here. But the court found that a, a body uh, of the government called the National Marine Fisheries Service uh, which was the authorizing, you know, body for the, these tests, um, wasn't doing enough to mitigate the harm against marine animals, against this uh, underwater wildlife. Um, there is a law in question here called the Marine Mammal Protection Act, um, to quote the act itself and, and the Verge article, uh, is meant to provide for the, quote, least practicable adverse impact on marine animals and their habitats. Um, and that the federal agency in question here, the NMFS, was not acting by the letter of the law in the way that they were overseeing these tests. They gave this kind of blanket license, and then they sort of said, go with God and, and uh, you know— Kill as many whales as, as you as you deem fit, Uncle Sam, in service of our great, great country. Uh, you know, they didn't really say that. But that's sort of what the outcome was, because it certainly seemed like there was very little oversight in any of this. And so, in theory, it's good that it got shut down or that they were called to task for it. Many militaries around the world have committed to investigating and... Ah, we're, I guess the most diplomatic word would be mitigating their activities to protect marine animals. Because, of course, again, we're at, we're at the loggerhead here. We're at the, the uh, <laughs> we're, we're at what one politician uh, awkwardly called the decision point, and I think in a, uh, his own autobiography. Uh, so do we, do we stop this stuff completely and therefore engage in an enormous trust fall, the like of which humanity has never seen? Uh, and the idea being like, hey, let's all just stop 
uh, trying to spy on each other and kill each other with uh, submarines and the weapons we can carry on board. Probably not going to happen. I'm not a big fan of gambling, but even I wouldn't put money on that. So it takes us to the future. This is where we are at. What do we prioritize? I guarantee you, it is utopian to think that, uh, and, and I'm using that in the correct sense of the word, it is utopian to think that every nation in the world would agree to even hard limits on sonar going forward. Because if everybody puts those hard limits on, and you're the one country that cheats or, or you know, bends the rules, then you have an immediate and significant advantage. Therefore, it would logically be dumb for you not to do that. Well, it's the same with like, you know, if, if, if everyone else in the Olympics is using steroids and you're the country that takes a stand against steroids and then you lose, then you, you look like a sucker. You know, it kind of requires uh, fair play on all sides to level the playing field. And we have no guarantees ever that that's the case. So we have to be as nasty as we think our enemies are being. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a hard thing. How do you, how do you act as a good steward of the environment and as a good steward of science, I guess, while also staying on the cutting edge of what everybody else is doing, knowing that you're not always going to be the good guy and not to say that that's even an impulse in our country, but it's a question that I have. And I wonder, how do you do that? Or that countries are good. What if you're not even concerned with your enemies and you're just concerned with your global trading partners? Because there is so much shipping that occurs across the oceans every day with these giant vessels that are terribly loud. And like we're thinking super tankers, all kinds of different large ships that are carrying the goods that you probably use every day that I know I use all the time, that get shipped across the oceans. Yeah, let's not forget the word shipping <laughs> refers to ships in the sea. I mean, we're not like, you know, you might get some special delivery freight that comes in a plane, but by and large, the way you can carry the largest amount of freight across that long a distance is with massive, massive ships loaded down with shipping containers. That also, uh, th that also remain the most cost-effective method of shipping, which is, which is key here. I'm glad you brought up the commercial aspects, Matt. Uh, those are arguably a little easier to regulate, but in practice much more difficult because that's another level of global cooperation. Uh, I just want to reiterate going on record. I don't want to miss this point whenever it's brought up. Uh, I think there should be two separate Olympics. I think there should be one where everybody signs a waiver. They're allowed to do the drugs and take the enhancements that they want. Does that make me a bad person? Debatably. Am I right? Would it be massively successful? One million percent. I did the math. So remember how happy <laughs> that statement made Spencer on Harmontown? <laughs> he said I mean, we it's... needed to he said we needed to stop the recording and erase all of that so that you could take that idea and then make it happen. <laughs> we could make it happen. The future is now. I mean, let's let's try not to destroy each other and try not to destroy the whales uh, and, and, and the brilliant marine animals, but this is like, ah, I just, I want to see superhumans. Devil's advocate here, though, guys. Who really cares about whales? <laughs> 
sorry. I'm obviously joking. <laughs> keep it, keep it. Yeah. No, I, but, but I mean, I, you can see how that could, you know, from the most callous business minded person, what are the whales contributing to us? What are the whales contributing to the ecosystem? I'm sure there's many things, but again, like you said, there's a lot we don't know about whales. Um, I just could see that conversation happening in a back room and the idea of shutting down the hippie, you know, marine protectionists uh, and how, how dare they try to stand in the way of our progress and our shipping and our ability to, you know, detect enemy vessels, uh, you know, as efficiently as humanly possible. And unfortunately, that's going to be a thing. Uh, it's hard to change that side. If, if, if you can't figure out a way to sell them or to commodify them in some way, the very fact that they're majestic and, you know, rare and beautiful just isn't going to do it for a lot of those types of folks. I'm just extremely happy that as of now, the whales haven't uh, figured out how to create and wield weaponry because they, they would have a pretty good case for revenge against all of humanity. Uh, just putting that out there, we're at least a couple thousand years away from the the man whale wars, so that at least makes me feel safer. So I had an idea. Um, I, I, there's some things we have to cut for time here, but I I have a thought experiment, a concept that I wanted to give get your thoughts on, and I didn't put it in the notes because I wanted to surprise you, but it's less crazy than it sounds. So the big problem, right, seems to be this dichotomy. Do we do we risk sacrificing military superiority, aka ultimately human lives, uh, to save whales? Are these two is is saving one hurting the other? That's that's kind of the the gist of the argument. But there is a third way. There are several third ways. One of those would be finding a viable, less harmful alternative to sonar. Sonar was a very easy branch, an easy fruit on a low-hanging branch to grab. I guess something like that. Horticulturists correct me, but but the um, there's something else we could do. Uh, it's one of the reasons I wanted to keep hitting the point that well, the technology we call sonar already existed in the natural world. What if we made these marine animals valuable to the military as a viable replacement for sonar technology? What if there's a world where uh, beaked whales would do all the things that a sub uh, that a sonar device would do? I mean, they're they're super. Significant problems with that. First off, that's very close to talking about whale slavery, uh, unless there's some kind of symbiotic relationship we can find. But secondly, governments have already been experimenting with using smaller cetaceans for any number of tasks. So what if there's a world where we can interact with the natural capabilities that already exist? What if we stop building ships and start hiring whales? Bolin 2024. Are you familiar with the uh, the art? I'm sure you are, Ben. The artist Mobius, French comic book artist. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does a lot of surrealist kind of like future scape kind of imagery. Um, he's got some images with like future whales, where they're like harnessed with uh, crazy weapons or things like that. And the idea of this whale war uh, is fascinating to me. But uh, definitely recommend people check out Mobius if you're into weird art. I'm just imagining the Horizon Zero Dawn version of whales where they're these robotic creatures that 
do kind of what you're talking about, but also serve some other purpose for humanity. Um, cause I don't, I don't know. I don't, I am pessimistic that we'd be able to change, uh, enough to actually truly save the world's population of, of cetaceans. Some are, some are on the rebound though. Uh, a couple of species of whales have been, uh, documented to have their population increasing. That stuff's always kind of depressing though. Cause it's like, Oh, the tiger population in X region more than doubled. What does that mean? Well, now there are three. Like that's it, it's that's an example I'm I'm just making up. But I mean, we don't want to sound like we're we're doing anything other than acknowledging this enormous dilemma. Is is there a good answer? I, I don't really think there is. If one country stops using this, or if a if one trading company stops using this, the other trading companies are just going to take take advantage of that power vacuum. I don't know. Well, I didn't mean this to end on such a down note. I mean, Noel, you're right about Mobius. Those are great comics. I, I love that yeah. guy. Maybe maybe less future whales than I remembered, but he definitely has some stuff with whales in them. But uh, that is a motif you see a lot, though, like whales flying through the sky, you know, and like with uh, like saddles or something like that and like lasers. And then there was that thing in Futurama, too. I believe there was a space whale uh, in one of those movies that they put out um, near the end of the run of that show. But uh, whales or no whales, check out Mobius. The Airtight Garage uh, is a really cool collection. Um, and he also, he didn't, he, he did, he collaborated with Alejandro Jodorowsky on a version of Dune that never saw the light of day. There's actually a documentary about that called Jodorowsky's Dune and Mobius did the, the conceptual art behind that. You can also see, um, I've got some of his tabletop books, uh, or I've got one of them that I would recommend. I think he's, I can't remember if he's the guy who also did this sort of space whale thing, but he is, uh, he, he did design some of the ideas behind a bunch of films people have seen, including space jam and fifth element. Right. So those are his bona fides. If that's what you were looking for, folks, if you, if you doubted us here, uh, <laughs> yeah, space jam is, is in fact a stone cold piece of American cinema art garbage. <laughs> Sorry. You, wa you watch your mouth, sir. And that's our show. We want to hear from you. What do you think? What is the solution to this intertwined Gordian knot of concerns? And problems and crises. Let us know. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, you can find us as individuals, not just a show. I'm Ben Bolin HSW on Twitter and Ben Bolin on Instagram. If you wish, you may find me on Instagram exclusively where I am at how now Noel Brown. You can find me uh, at Matt Frederick underscore iHeart, and you can ask me directly, hey, why didn't you talk about air gun arrays in this episode? And I will reply back to you cordially. Uh, we ran out of time because there's a lot to talk about on this. Why subject. are you asking so many questions? Also Once you mind your own business. You know, <laughs> let me Google that for you. Sorry, I didn't mean to get aggressive. Okay, I feel better now. We also have a phone number. 
if uh, if you know your opprobrium and them over uh, <laughs> over air gun array and over the current research we didn't get to uh, just doesn't quite translate into the written word. You can call us directly where we are one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Thanks to everyone who sang along as we said that. Uh, you've got three minutes. It'll go straight to a voicemail. Tell us your story. Tell your fellow listeners. Uh, let us know if you don't want your name or uh, your story on the air. We will respect your wishes. Uh, be aware that one of us might call you back. Yeah, be very aware because it's about to happen after we finish recording this. I've got a short list already from today. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can always send us a good old-fashioned email. Even if we don't get to you or you know respond back immediately, know that we are reading your messages. Please know that. Uh, we, we're doing our best to respond whenever possible. Thank you for, for listening again and write to us. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.